Knowledge is power. Just tell me maybe more about your show. Like maybe what's the vision of your show? What's it about? And then we can just dive in to whatever you want to talk about. Yeah, yeah, of course. So it kind of started as uh, basically a mental health uh, podcast. And by that, I mean just kind of listening to people tell their story, listening to people kind of give their perspective on life and what they've gone through or what they know um, and trying to uh, kind of provide little little useful pieces of information f- for listeners because I was watching a lot of podcasts and listening to a lot of interviews and finding that random sentences, you know, 58 minutes into a podcast would just be profound to me personally. So um, it's been that and then kind of it expanded and, and grown. I interviewed a lot of uh, you know, just d- different types of artists, you know, metal bands, lead singer of a metal band, rappers, um, carpenters, professional bodybuilders, uh, authors, just all, all different types of people. Um, so yeah, just basically everybody has, you know, a unique, interesting perspective or view and we could all kind of learn from it. It's kind of the, the premise. Um, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, let's start with, let's start with just kind of like a bio from you, just, uh, maybe kind of how you got into, um, a lot of these subjects as, as well. Yeah. So those philosophical subjects are things that I like to think about. Um, I think I started my philosophy hobby or thinking about philosophy maybe 10 years ago. It's just, you know, on the side, I love thinking about it. I love thinking through these questions, but my day job is as a software product manager. I work, now at a fintech company um just started a contract two weeks ago so that's my day job um i I like i work with developers to build software and then i've got a side project or a side business where i make mobile apps for podcasters and content creators so i reach out to podcasters see if they want to have a conversation but also tell them about my business um yeah so that's what i do for my job for my profession and on the side i love having deep conversations. I don't have enough of them. My wife is not too keen on having them with me. So whoever wants to have conversations on these topics, I am always ready and willing. Yeah. I mean, you definitely went the brave route by just doing, let's, let's do podcasts together. Like that's, that's pretty cool that you did that. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a podcast, but I mean, I figured I'll reach out to podcasters who are also my target customers. So you kill two birds with one stone, just have a conversation, get to know uh, you folks and see where the conversation goes. Yeah, yeah, that that's brilliant. Okay, so what is it? What is it to you about philosophy and kind of questioning, um, you know, our existence, why we're here, consciousness, any of these things? Like, what is it really about that 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 triggers you? That, that I you love, love the fact. Well, I think uh, when I went to grad school, for whatever reason, um, I it opened up to me the fact that there are so many hidden assumptions. We have so many beliefs that are just underneath everything. And they're unexamined. So that was like the peak into it maybe 10 years ago now, like I said. Um, but I love thinking through the what we call presuppositions or underlying assumptions that hold everything else up. And I don't think people think about them enough, but they're really important and really interesting when you think through what's the basis, the foundation or the ground of a lot of our beliefs. And so we can dive into any of, any of the ones that you want to. Yeah, yeah, any and all of them. Um, so, what do, what do you think? Like, do we have 
is consciousness built through evolution? Um, do you think it's more panpsychism? Um, is, is it part of, part of matter itself? Like, like mm-hmm. what is, what and why is consciousness a thing? Yeah. So consciousness is really interesting. That ties into, I think the free will thing, as I think about free will, and I think as people live their lives, the assumption is, and the working assumption is that it's, it's a real thing. We do have free will. We make real decisions on our own. That's like the common sense assumption and um, working, working definition, I think people just assume. Um, I also believe that we have genuine free will. We're making real decisions here. Um, we're not robots. We're not determined by our um, the physical laws right, going on in our brains. We're making real choices and the choices therefore matter. Um, we're responsible for those decisions. Uh, and we can go into morality as a, as a consequence, but sticking with free will, I think uh, freedom, when I think about it in the way that we just talked about it, like genuine free will, it's not a part of nature. When I think about physics, the laws of physics and the laws of chemistry, there's no freedom involved there. There's cause and effect. We have the laws of nature, right? These are these are descriptions of the way physical reality behaves. Um, you can't break the laws of nature. They break you. It's like the word law is a kind of a misnomer there, but it's just the way things are. Um, and that leads me to believe like if we do have genuine free will, we're making real decisions, real choices, then that's something that's outside of physical reality. It's something different. Um, one, one step further as I think about freedom is, I think freedom is necessary for rationality. So when we say we believe something um, on rational grounds or like, you know, let's say I believe in something based on the evidence I see, I'm making a choice there. I'm, I'm choosing to believe something because of good reasons and, and the evidence that I've gathered. That's a choice. And that's what makes it reasonable. That's what makes it rational. So if I didn't have a choice, if free will was an illusion or it, it's just like a, a useful fiction or something, then all of my beliefs by definition wouldn't be rational. Even the belief that I don't have free, genuine free will. I don't know if you followed that last step, but yeah. it's like circular. When I think about that, it's the belief that you're free, your free will, the belief that you don't have free will and your free will is irrational, your free will is not, um, not genuine. That belief in itself is irrational. And therefore, I think that belief, you, you can't hold that belief. Um, you can't justify holding that belief logically. Right, um, right. Okay, so, okay, so when it, as far as our pool to pull from, uh, like, like the, the series of choices that we have. So Sam Harris kind of has um, uh, 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 a practice or, or something that he's done on podcasts or conversations where, um, he basically asked the person say like, think of, um, think of a mammal first thing that pops in your head, whatever it is. Um, and then, and then he's like, so why didn't you think of say a giraffe? Why didn't you think of a gorilla? 
whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, just thinking of the bank of animals that we happen to know of because of our experience, because of what we've seen, because of what we've heard. Um, we, we, we only, we only have like a pool to pull from. We yeah. only have like a, a box of experiences mm-hmm. up into this point to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a grab bag of, of prior experiences. So I didn't have, mm-hmm. if, if you were to say, um, say, say you chose giraffe, mm-hmm. for example, and you had never heard of a gorilla, you'd never seen mm-hmm. a gorilla, you didn't know it existed. Mm-hmm. You didn't yeah. have the free will to pull gorilla if you didn't yeah. know that it existed. Yeah, what do you sure. think about that? You don't have the free will. Well, I guess, I mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah, you don't have the freedom to choose an option you're not aware of. That seems fine yeah. to me. Like, yeah, we don't know everything. We only know a little bit of what's out there, and but we can choose. So that's interesting. So the first thought that comes to your head, yeah, I don't think there's a choice involved there. I don't think everything we do is free. Um, so the first thought that I got was dolphin. I didn't choose that. It just came up. So I don't think there's choice involved there. And yeah, I agree. Like you don't have the choice to choose something you're not even aware of. It's not even in the pool of your experience or content. So Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sam Harris kind of talks like that. And it, and it makes me think, cause I hadn't thought about it until he said something. Um, mm-hmm. it, it does make me think it, it is kind of a, you know, it's kind of a zooming in unnecessarily in a weird way because it's like, okay, of course we weren't talking about the things that we haven't experienced, you know? So it almost is when, when I feel like the way that you talk about free will is just based off of our, it's of course only based off of our experiences because that's what mm-hmm. we're trying to to answer, right? You know, we're not, yeah. we're, we're talking about our lived experience and if, if we have free will within our own limits, which of course yeah. we're in our own limits. That's, that's how mm-hmm. we even... To, to the point of the conversation. But, but I think what's fascinating about that example is there are so many things in our lives that we have no control over. So many thoughts. Like, just think about uh, your interests. I think Jordan Peterson talks about this all the time. Did you choose your interests? Hmm. I don't think so. I mean, we have an affinity toward things and activities, topics. Right. I don't think I had a choice in that. Like, he says, like, do you choose your interests or do your interests choose you? Ooh, I like that. I think, I think they choose us in a way. Like, yeah, anyway, I, did, I didn't control it. You can't choose to love anybody um, or like fall in love with anybody. I think that just happens to you. And they're right. so, I feel like probably most of our experiences are not, you know, they're not rational choices, decisions. They're just happening to us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're trying to piece together the puzzle. You know, our, our ego is just trying to form like, here's why it happened. And yes, of course I love this. I made this decision. Um, yeah, it kind of, kind of is interesting because it's not say you fall in love with dancing at a young age and you're seven Mm -hmm. years old. It's not like when you were six, you were saying to yourself, I'm going to fall in love with dancing next year. You know, it's, you don't, you don't plan it. You just have an experience one whole day of you just seeing someone dancing or you watched it on TV or you heard about Mm -hmm. it, whatever, something that makes you kind of attached to the thing that Mm -hmm. like that you're interested in, you know, that is, that is very, um, that that, it's very intriguing because yeah, yeah. Really thinking if, if our interests choose us, you know, Mm -hmm. it it is, it does kind of see cause, okay. So what do you think about, um, determinism? So along with, you know, kind of the contrast of free will, because Mm -hmm. maybe there's a little bit of a mix of both of that are possible. What do you think? I mean, I think um, the physical reality 
is determined. If you're just talking about molecules in motion, that seems to me determined by the laws of physics and the laws of nature. The interesting thing is like we human beings are in nature. And um, if we have free will, like genuine free will, then we're like this, um, we're an element of indeterminism within a determined universe. That seems to me to jive with what I hear is going on in quantum physics. I think there are elements of indeterminism within um, physical reality or descriptions of physical reality. So it's probably a combination, right? Um, in quantum physics, like physical laws seem to be determined, but there are elements of indeterminism within it. So the reality is probably both and, we just don't understand how to put them together, mm. but they seem to be together. The human beings are in a physically determined universe. If we have free will, then we're yeah, agents of indeterminism. Right. And yet um, we're embedded and uh, what's the word? Yeah, we're living inside of a physical, physically determined universe. Yeah, so what Not is it? We we have free will within a box or something. Yeah. Some, and that seems to be uh, like, it's not unusual. Like we have games, right? We play chess. That's there's freedom within the confines of the rules of the game. So like that seems to be a common thing across different domains. Yeah. I mean, it, maybe it is. Uh, we're always kind of looking for structure amongst chaos. We're looking for, and we're innately looking for patterns um, and we can kind of exist and live within those patterns. So the patterns are the the rules on the chessboard. You can or cannot, yes or no, hard line, yet mm. do or do not these things. And it creates a structure that we can actually play the game within. And maybe we're yeah. kind of doing that same thing with life. I think so. Yeah. Cause like the laws of nature, you can't go outside the laws of nature. You can't break them. They're going to yeah. break you. Right. Yeah. So those are the, the restraints of the game, so but there's you, a lot of choice. Yeah. Do, do you think we will ever, um, just as a thought experiment, do you think we'll ever break outside of any of our laws? Do you think we'll ever have any sort of, cause I think, um, like, like with the quantum quantum physics, the, the, the quantum physics stuff is so fascinating. And, um, and I know this is a kind of a ridiculous jump, but like the Marvel, um, universe, they, they talk about all this, this different dimension stuff. It really kind of like pokes where we're at with science anyway. And it does kind of make me think that maybe there is a way in which humans could jump whatever that means, you know, mm. forward in consciousness or, or evolution or some sort of jump from whatever, whatever it was that w went from monkeys to us. Maybe mm. there could be another thing like that, some sort of jump. And it's something yeah. to do um, uh, 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 w with our, with our, with our current reality kind of changing. Have you, have you thought about any of that? At I all? think um, uh, there are more dimensions than we are capable of perceiving. Uh, I think that's just a fact, right? Like we can't hear above or beyond certain frequencies. We can't see right above or beyond certain um, of the, the, the visual spectrum. So our physical uh, organs just by the nature of what they are, we're seeing only a slice of reality. There's a lot more that we're just not perceiving. There's so much going on that we're just not aware of. So yeah, I can see us um, 
expanding our senses, sense capabilities to perceive beyond what we can now, yeah. uh, whether that happens through technology or some other mechanism, like you said, um, evolution, maybe our brains will evolve or change in a way that we can perceive uh, more than we can now. I think that's, yeah. I mean, that's happened, right? Like with, with microscopes, we can see and telescopes, we see far more than we could with the, with the naked eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe in that, that's an analogy of what can happen uh, in the future. Right. Yeah. Like our, our tools do kind of just become extensions of us. They're kind of like, you know, they're, they're just a, a way of reaching our arms to be a little bit longer mm-hmm. into what humans are, are capable of doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting. It's also very interesting to think about the contrast with zooming in really, really far. And then we, we zoom out really, really far to see, and it just continuously expands, right? No matter which way we go, it just mm-hmm. c- continues to, uh, to expand or like, like as the technology gets better, the the more the deeper we can go, the farther out we can we can look. It's so interesting. Yeah, it's amazing. It seems like there's no limit to um, what there is to discover. Um, I mean, yeah, from the very small to the to the size of the universe, I still can't get my head around the fact that I mean, the universe has a size, and you, there, you know, it is expanding. Uh, yeah, so it's that's kind of beyond what I can comprehend. Right, because our our brain, you know, we hear a billion, or we hear a trillion, or we hear infinity, and we're like, yeah, man, that's that's a lot. And but really, our brain doesn't. Of course, we can't comprehend that. You know, we we don't really think of, wow, what what is a billion of something, or what is a, you know, what what is infinity really mean for something to go on forever? Like our brains don't really have a experiential understanding of it. So yeah, so that's that kind of um, leads me to. To this thought, um, so assuming that we've evolved, right? Um, uh, our brains, our bodies are adapted for survival in a particular environment. Let's just say, like the uh, the plains of Africa. Like we, all human beings, let's say, originated from Africa, and so our bodies haven't changed in the however many thousands of years that we've uh, become human beings. So we're like evolved for a particular environment. It seems to me so strange and fascinating that the brain of a primate, the body and brain of a primate that's evolved in this particular environment is able to comprehend the the size of the universe, (laughs) quantum physics, um, advanced mathematics that I have no idea. Like there's so creativity, making music and businesses. Like it seems unreal, unreal that, um, yeah, that the brain evolved for that particular natural environment could do all this. And I feel like, um, why trust the brain? Why trust, let's just say, you know, the primate brain. Why would you trust the primate brain um, so outside of its natural element, exploring abstract concepts that are so far removed from what it was adapted for, which is survival within that particular natural environment? Why trust any of these things that we have, we're thinking up? Right. So, 
for me, I feel like uh, you might call it like the naturalistic um, explanation for consciousness, maybe. Um, there's something like it, it undermines it somehow. I feel like there's less justification to trust um, the deliverances of our cognitive faculties on that evolutionary view. Um, I don't know if that made sense. Like, yeah, yeah. So, so, so why, yeah, basically why would, you know, it, it seems obvious why it's important to uh, give time and effort into not getting eaten by a lion or finding, finding um, food to eat, you know, keep it, keep keeping alive survival. So like the jump from survival to, you know, looking up at the stars and wondering where you are in comparison to that and wondering what that is and wondering what you are, like what, what that, um, what, what, what is that, that awareness, I guess, like where, where does awareness come from and why, why does it come, you know, it's, a. Uh, have, have you ever heard of the uh, stoned ape theory? Oh, is that something to do with like taking psychedelic, uh, substances? Yeah, yeah. But I don't know the full thing. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Terrence McKenna talks about it. Uh, essentially we're apes living in trees, um, surviving that way. And then after a while we end up getting out of the trees or something brings us out of the trees for whatever reason. And we start looking for food on the ground, um, hunting more, whatever we're away from the trees and we start following, um, cows flipping over cow pies, looking for food, start noticing that's where, you know, in manure is where psychedelics grow. Um, and then we realized because of survival, there, there's different, there's certain little subtle things that psychedelics, um, like magic mushrooms, for example, would give you better, uh, visual acuity. Mm. So this makes you better at hunting. Um, mm. it, it would potentially connect your tribe more in, in different ways. They probably had some sort of like orgy situation when it came to these apes, when they were doing all these psychedelics. Um, so basically it kind of like had all these positive effects as far as keeping a, a group of, of apes together. And so over, you know, hundreds of thousands of years or whatever it is, um, they continued to follow behind bulls and mm-hmm. bulls and um, um, cows and, and flip over yeah. the manure and, and take psychedelics and that's kind of how consciousness started to form they started realizing things um, started having language started noticing that when they would eat food here and throw it on throw the seeds on the ground when they come back a year later in season there'd be crops yeah. growing yeah, yeah. Um, so, and then they start having a memory bank to kind of build those things on so that's kind of the the stone ape th- yeah. theory of sorts I mean, when I hear that, it's a nice story. <laughs> Dang. I, I, I don't. You don't buy it, huh? I don't feel like that's at all plausible. It's an, I mean, it's a story. Well, well, so what do you, what do you think it is? Like, what what do you think? What is the birth of consciousness to you? Then, do, do you have yeah. any? Let me think about language for a little bit. I thought a little bit about language. Um, when I think about what language is, and I have a son, like a six-year-old boy now. Wow, just the work it takes to teach a language to a child, it's, it's an enormous amount of effort and time to teach language to someone who doesn't have a language. Um, so to imagine a situation where a language could somehow evolve from nothing, I think is an, is an insurmountable gap for one. So, Given the implausibility of a language coming from nothing, um, 
and just another example of that is like uh, when we look at the animal kingdom there are communication systems like birds have chirping systems signals and all this but i think when people analyze the way animals communicate compared to the way human beings communicate through language i think there's a fundamental difference between a language and these signal signaling systems so when i think about what a language is and the fact that new languages are always born out of existing languages um i think that uh, i think language needs to pre-exist there has to be a language before any new languages can come to be and that language whatever that new language is it has to be taught like parents have to teach their kids how to speak the language of their society and so there's like an enormous amount like i said of investment time effort patience that goes into anyone acquiring a language so like i'm a christian so when i think about like the bible and god being described as in the beginning was the word i was like whoa that's interesting mm-hmm. in the beginning was language and he's described as like our father wow i wonder if adam and eve were like these uh apes or primates humans homo sapiens and god had to adopt them and teach them language like the enormous amount of investment and time and love it takes to teach language to a primate maybe the primate had the cognitive capabilities i'm sure like you and i do right we have the cognitive capability to pick up language um the fact the the faculties are there but language acquisition doesn't just happen it takes it takes a relationship and it takes a loving relationship for that to to happen and so yeah that's that's my my position is um yeah in the beginning was language in the beginning was the word right and um that's prob that that's the beginning of consciousness and once you have language then you have consciousness because i don't think you can be self aware without the word i if you don't have the word i in whatever language you've acquired i don't think you can you have self consciousness you have self awareness like they're tied together right the word and um the self awareness i think are tied together so so i kind of i i i kind of think that the i was formed from still this same survival technique i think that when there's some sort of apes apes hunting um uh or, or whatever you know we're we're essentially we're going to do things that are going to increase our chances of survival right we're going to do things like like i was saying you know how the psychedelics would increase the chances of people working together or uh, you know apes working together and what not uh their visual acuity i think after a while we would probably have to start pointing if you're on a hunt you're hunting a boar you're a group of eight apes and you're hunting a boar i have no idea if if they actually hunt boar or how this works but uh eventually hundreds and hundreds of years you would start to notice and pick up i think when you do this with your finger you you take your hand this thing is called a hand they wouldn't know it they haven't labeled it yet but they are moving mm-hmm. a part of their limbs and pointing over there or they're gesturing mm-hmm. or they're they're huh, huh. 
they're indicating, you know, we're, we're using our, our body's verbal language. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and then that after a while, after a long time starts to form words because we start to label things. We start to point, we start mm-hmm. to say, uh, you know, like something that indicates good or bad, danger, food, there's a lion or there's a boar, whatever it is. So we're pointing over more and more years. We start uh, pointing, this is, the, oh, banana. We start making different mouth noises to indicate the survival thing has now gone on to long-term survival in this scenario. I'm not sure. Uh, but, uh, oh, and, and then eventually what had to happen if we're labeling things, we're labeling things for survival. This is good or this is bad. Here's where the water is. Here's where you put the seeds. You go over here. Eventually we have to start doing you we point at each other. Now we have a name. Now we have a, when I point at you, you're a, uh, you're a thing. And that's kind of the birth of the ego. That's kind of the birth of the I in a lot of ways. What do you mm. think about that? I think again, that's, it's a, it's a story. Yeah. I don't think there are any examples we can point to, to validate that story. Yeah. Um, there are, it's yeah. not like they were, they were writing that down at that point, obviously. I mean, there, <laughs> were, there like are so many animals in the world. Right. Mm. And, we're the only ones. Why, why should it be that we are the only ones? If that story is plausible, if that progression is plausible, why are human beings the only ones that have developed language? Um, the gorillas have been around for as long as we have, right? Every other animal has been, has been around as long as human beings have. Mm-hmm. If, that's a, if that process you've just described is a natural process, then I would expect to see other animals having gone that route yeah, but, um, or at least yeah, similar, you know, because no we're because we're so far, we really are so far away from all other animals. You know, we're we're not just at the top of the food chain. We've like we've left the food chain. We're not yeah. like we have we've power over all the all the other animals. So yeah. it is it is very interesting, right? Like why why would humans or the thing after apes be chosen in such yeah. way? Um, Biologically, we're not very different from we're ve- we're very similar, right? Ninety nine what percent of our DNA is exactly the same as a chimpanzee, right? So there's nothing really biologically that different from us to other animals, other life. But yeah, we've left orbit. Like we've left um, the orbit of the animal kingdom. And I think language is is like the primary um, differentiator. Um, so so you you believe that so so you believe that there was so like like you said there was the word. So what would you say, um, like, how, how did God learn the word? Like, like how does he know the word? Not, yeah. Maybe not who taught it to him, but like, what, what is that? Like, why does that exist? Why would God exist mm-hmm. with the word to give it to us even? Then? Yeah, I feel like the, the definition of God that um, I'm working with is he is this pre-existent mm-hmm. consciousness. So he is the origin of consciousness, the origin of language. He is the word. Oh. He is language. It's yeah, it's it's pretty abstract at that point, but like there's nothing before him, right? He is God. He's the ultimate yeah. reality. And if and the ultimate reality, if if our view, if my view is correct, the ultimate reality is conscious, the ultimate reality is personal, the ultimate reality is loving, like all these attributes of God um describe ultimate reality. Whereas other worldviews like let's say Buddhism, ultimate reality is unconscious and impersonal, right? So it's, it's a very clear distinction between worldviews um, that I hold. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm, I I find that I'm pretty fascinated by by really all of the the different religious um, beliefs and how we came to to all, all of our different beliefs. How different cultures had for so long believed in so many different things, and then they shifted or whatever. It's all just so fascinating. I always try to wonder what are they all kind of pointing at. You know, like maybe we have different language, maybe we have different words for it. Um, but like, what is this thing within humans that that we have some sort of desire for a higher power, for meaning, for purpose, for um, direction, yep. or um, you know, and and, the, and then also the fact that for whatever strange reason, you know, love and kindness and joy and uh, you know all these like good positive emotions seem to connect us closer to to that that feeling of of meaning of purpose. You know, it is it, it there's there's no denial that that you know love and God are so so intertwined, you know? I think in our Western uh, societies, we tie God and love together because of the Christian tradition and heritage in the West. I don't think that's true in other, in, in other geographies, other traditions. But, um, but I, yeah, when you talk about purpose uh, and meaning, I think that is universal. I think it's proven. I'm, I just finished a book um, called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Have you heard of this one? Mm, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a pretty famous one, I think. Um, Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist who was in Auschwitz, and he lived through that, and he wrote a book about that just right after he got out of it. But that's just one book. Um, no one can live without a purpose, without a sense of purpose. You will die. You will kill yourself if you don't have a sense of purpose. People don't think about it very much, but um, I think that's a fact. Like without hope, uh, everything becomes meaningless and we die. So it's not a hope. It seems to be like a survival mechanism. It's an adaptation that if it is an adaptation, it's, it helps us survive. I think it, it's fascinating to, to realize that we all think of ourselves as the hero of our own story. We live inside a story, we just do. We are the main character in our own stories. Everyone else has their own stories. We fit everything into like a meta story. So I think story is something also really embedded within our human being. Um, so thinking narratively, thinking ourselves as heroes in, within our own stories. Um, I think all pointing to the fact that there is an ultimate story and our, our lives do matter within that big story. And it is like, even the word history has the word story in it. His story. Yeah. Um, we can't help it. It's, it's, it's the way we are. We, we structure things into stories. What, I mean, I think that points to the fact that there is an ultimate story. There is a meta narrative and we are living into it. Mm -hmm. um, but that only makes sense, I think, from a theistic worldview where there is a God. He is the author, the creator. He has a plan for not just our lives individually, but a plan for the, the entire human race. There mm -hmm. is a, a structure, a story structure to this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So, so uh, thinking along the lines of like Jordan Peterson's lectures, he talks about, um, he kind of gives us the examples of how we live through a, um, a hero's journey. 
Uh, and he gives examples, I think, through like Lion King and, and Peter Pan. Um, I'm not sure if you've if you've listened to those lectures. Um, if, if yeah, not, I have. Oh yeah, awesome, cool. Yeah, it's been a while since I've touched on those, but I remember really liking those. Um, and I like to think about, you know, what is the reason? Wh- what is the reason why you know the Marvel movies are so popular right now? What is the reason why um, we do love Disney so much? I think it's because they really are speaking to something within each of us. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's hard. It's hard to quantify and explain it with a capital T truth of like, mm-hmm. this is something that is is 100% true amongst all humans mm-hmm. um, when it comes to like us needing some sort of purpose or story that we're following or, or following mm-hmm. some sort of hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, man, man, it really does seem to be true. You know, mm-hmm. people's lives are a lot more fulfilling when they feel as if they have some sort of sense of, of purpose or meaning within within their own scope. Do you think... Yeah that a lot of what we're going through, you know, our depression rates are crazy high right now. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there, there's a lot of like kind of madness going on in, in, in some ways um, right now. Do you think a lot of people are kind of living without purpose right now? Yeah, I think so. And so the book I'm reading was written in like 1947. And the author was saying, even back then, he there was a survey. I think it, it said like, maybe 60% or 70% of the people that were surveyed back then felt like there was no one or nothing that they would die for. Mm. Um, so like the meaning problem was a problem back then. It's, I'm sure it's even worse now. People, uh, people need meaning, they need a purpose, but um, it's hard to, to find one to hold on to. Uh, for your entire life. And I think as we get older and we, we, you know, I think naturally we do have short-term purposes. Like when we're young, we're going after different things. But as we pursue those things over the years and as we get older and older, um, those things tend to lose their grip on us and we begin to question, are we climbing up the wrong ladder? Are we pursuing the wrong things? And then when you get to that point of your thinking, then um, a lot of people feel lost. Like, okay, then what am I, what should I be living for? Uh, what is my purpose? And the more questions you ask at that point, I think um, the more confusing things can, can get. Um, but I think for, for most people that they're, they grow up within a tradition. So if you grow up within a, a Muslim tradition, for example, or a Hindu tradition, or it's religion for the most part, right? If you grow up within a Christian tradition, those questions tend to be answered for you from your tradition. You can adopt them more readily. You, you want to question them and make them your own, but there's a set of answers there for you to consider. I think a lot of people, um, as they become atheist or lose their religion and like break away from the traditions, it becomes a lot harder because there isn't some ready set of um, values and purposes you can kind of consider. If you're an atheist, then there really is no long-term purpose. It, that's just a brute fact. There is no purpose to your life, ultimately. Um, there's no purpose to the human race, ultimately. The universe itself is going to um, experience a heat death. Right? Nothing matters on that worldview. So it's, it can be very depressing if you think, if you think about that. Um, for too long and so I, I don't think people tend to want to think about that yeah yeah I mean it's I, I do find when 
there is this innate feeling of nihilism that that kind of takes over when you when you really you just have this eh, everything's meaningless my life's meaningless we're all gonna die blah, blah, blah. it's like th- th- there's like a flip side of it that really can bring your life it, it makes you see the joy and beauty that you already have you know and and it, it is kind of like okay yeah yeah may, maybe this is a, a short sliver of of life but that is it like what a gift then what what a gift it is that you know this in, infinite universe this infinite um uh solar system this you know all this crazy time that we're alive within all of times is we're just a blip on the radar as far as we know but isn't that awesome isn't that amazing like what a, what a gift to be able to be just a, a blip on the radar mm-hmm. um do you think uh, you had mentioned morality at the at the beginning as well? What what do you gain out of out out of um, having a sense of morality values? I, I feel like I didn't. I kind of had like a a spiritual awakening, you know, basically just being able to admit to myself that there's something bigger than my own dang ego, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I kind of had this. I, I don't think that I had as many stern values or morals or realized when like, you know, like if you lie or you say something dishonest or you say something hurtful, it actually hurts you later on. It's kind of that, that hell that's inside mm-hmm. of you. You know, the, the reactions to living without values and morals, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, when that kind of sparked within me, it, it gave me, oh yeah, values and morals are actually important. It is kind of good to have bumpers up on your life and give yourself a little bit of a direction at, at what you're facing. How, how do you, John, um, like how do values and morals and, and these sorts of things help you in your life? I think the moral laws are uh, objective and I think they're normative. So meaning we are obligated to obey them. So I thought about this actually last weekend. Um, I was thinking about the different kinds of laws there are in the universe. So at, at the top, I thought of stuff like logical laws. There are laws of logic and laws of mathematics. Two plus two equals four. It's a law of, of arithmetic. Um, these laws are uh, rules for proper thinking. So they're, they're like, they're within the abstract realm. You, you can break them, but you, you can only break them by accident. So I think of the example, like, if you don't know that two plus two equals four, you can make a a math error. You can put five there. But once you understand that two plus two equals four, um, and you you believe that to be true, it is impossible from that point forward for you to believe anything else. Like, you can't break that law of logic once you understand it. Like, knowing it pretty much binds you to it. Um, you can try as much as you like to believe that two plus two equals 2000. You're not going to be able to break that law. So that was one area of law I was thinking about. Um, they exist. Um, you can, you can break them, but only by accident. And then at the bottom, I was thinking about like the laws of nature and I don't like the, the word law, but like these are descriptions of physical, uh, the behavior of the physical world. They're just descriptive. Um, you can't break them. Um, you, you're never going to break the law of gravity, right? If you try to, you're gonna, it's going to break you. So there's no um, breaking the laws of nature. And in the middle, it's funny, like we live in the space between 
the heavens and the earth. Like we live in that middle space. And I was thinking about the laws of morality are so interesting because they connect the abstract realm with the physical realm. Because their law, the, the laws of uh, morality are both rules for proper thinking and rules for proper acting. They're like both and, and they live in like this middle space where we live. We live in the middle space between our, our abstract thinking world and the world of acting and behavior. Mm. Um, so I was thinking about that. And um, yeah, like the rules of morality, the laws of morality are unique in that you can know what the right thing is to do and you can consciously disobey. You can break that. Like you can know, you can know something is true, and then you can also disobey it. You can break it. So it's unlike the laws of logic. It's unlike the laws of physics. It's pretty special. It's mm-hmm. it's there in the middle. It's it's where we live. Um, and then going back to like thinking about a free will. Since we do have free will, assuming we do have free will, genuine, the genuine capacity to make choices. Um, when we disobey a moral law, when we break it, we become guilty. And I think that that word guilt, I think, again, it kind of all ties back to freedom. Guilt is only real when you, ha- when you have the freedom to break a moral law. And so this the whole concept of guilt um, is only possible because we have genuine freedom. And then guilt leads to punishment right if you break the laws of america you are then liable to being arrested judged sentenced right punished for that so all of these concepts of around being guilty and then receiving some kind of punishment or reward for our behavior all kind of ties back to freedom as well um, how does it help me in my life um, so again, I think world worldview plays a big part here. Um, I think a lot of different worldviews view the moral law of their tradition as laws of proper behavior, right? And like you, if you do these things and follow these laws, at the end of your life, you're, God will weigh you in the scales of His righteousness. And if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you get to go to heaven. If your bad deeds outweigh your your good deeds, then you go to hell. So, um, and that's kind of also related to what you just said. Like you said, you've discovered that following these moral laws in the end, come back to reward me, come back to help me. It's almost like an an adaptive thing. Um, It's self-serving to be a good person also helps me live a better life, maybe a more successful, more happy life. So I find within that view, it still kind of turns around and ends in self-interest. Like to do a good thing because it helps me in the end is still in the end self-interested. It's still kind of selfish. If I were to walk an old lady across the street because I thought, you know what, in the end, God's gonna give me brownie points or in the end, this is gonna come back to me in some good way. It's, you're doing that kind of for self-interested reasons. And so there's something off-putting about that for me. I think, um, what the Christian worldview says is we do good, not because it's going to buy us some reward or come back to us in some positive way. We obey these laws of morality 
we obey God's law because um, uh, it's like an expression of thanksgiving almost. It's an expression of the fact that he loves us and he's already forgiven us of all our, our guilt. We don't have to earn our way to being right with him. It's just, we're doing these things for truly for others now. I can walk that lady across the street, not because it's going to come back to me in some good way or not because I'm going to get brownie points or go to heaven because I do that. I can walk that person across the street or do any good deed because um, I want to help that person. It's completely other focused. It's not self-interested. But those are some thoughts around morality. Maybe you can respond to any of those. Yeah, yeah, those are all nice, man. Um, yeah, there really is something special about stepping outside of ourselves and our own, um, you know, our, we all have our own level of constant neuroticism of some sorts, I think, you know. Um, so when we step outside of ourselves and we could be of service to someone else, service to others, not not to our own um, ends, um, you know, the, the if things do happen, you know, you you do this nice thing and it ends up having something else come back to you. That's a plus. That's not you don't think about the reward, right? That's the that's just something that if it happens, it happens. That's awesome. But you're not doing it to to score those brownie points, like you said, um, John. We are getting kind of up here in time, and I feel like we could talk for hours, honestly. But um, I, I do have to uh, get going to work here in not too long, so I do want to round the corner a little bit. Uh, I was just kind of thinking. I have a good question um, to ask you, you know, you, you, you contemplate a lot of these things. It seems like, like you, you said you enjoy um, philosophy. You like thinking about these things. You like um, not only contemplating them, but you're also, you know, you're, you're a father, you're, you're a businessman. If you had to maybe talk back to your 18 year old self, your 20 year old self, um, uh, or, or even just someone like him, you know, if any of the listeners maybe are, are that age, you know, they're, they're younger. If you had some like blanket statement advice of how to see the world, how to live, um, what, what to do, what not to do. Do you have anything that, that pops to mind? Yeah. I mean, what pops to mind is, um, don't do things because you think it's the thing every, everyone else is doing. Like I, I went to college right after high school. I probably shouldn't have gone to college right out of high school. I probably should have worked, um, grown emotionally, socially, um, made money, uh, like been more independent, just grown as a person before I decided to commit to a four-year education somewhere in a major that um, was going to be relevant to my career. So I think... If I were to talk to, talk to myself at 18, I'd say, uh, don't go right into school, work for a couple of years, figure yourself out, discover what your interests are, like your real interests, explore those. And then if you decide to go back to school, choose, choose something that you really want to study so you don't waste your time and money in school, um, studying something that you're not really interested in. And yeah, also I didn't have a work ethic. So like going to school without a work ethic you're trying to build a work ethic while being in school, it's it's difficult, right? Yeah. You don't know why you're there. Like, so uh, I guess take the time to discover your purpose, discover your interests, and try to make decisions in your life that um, get you closer to, the, to your purpose. And then you'll save a lot of time and a lot of money, um, like floundering. Yeah, I, I took a lot of my 20s just, yeah, just kind of floating, um, 
not knowing what I wanted to do with my life. I don't regret, I don't regret a lot of that, but if I were to go back, I'd want to get clarity earlier on so I can make more progress in the time that um, I've had. Yeah. 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 I, I think that's a pretty good answer, man. It's basically just, yeah, f- find yourself, see what you want even before you just decide on something that's so, you know, pushing into so much debt too, for sure. Uh, yeah. I think it it would have been kind of cool to, as soon as I turned 18 to just, you know, sell everything that's too big to fit into, into a van and just go travel around for a few years. You know, I mean, obviously that's the, that's the, the pipe dream daydream is a little bit more complicated than that, but it really would. I mean, being a young age and just learning about the world through, through that lens and just being humble enough to sleep in your car or whatever it is for a little while, you probably learn a lot about yourself and what you want and what you don't want. You know, I think so. Yeah. I mean, people can get to these insights, I think in a lot of different ways. There's no like, yeah, no one right way to discover yourself. Um, but yeah, taking the time and being intentional about it, I think is worth it when you're young. Yeah, yeah and like don't feel pressured to live up to uh, the expectations and the, the expectations of your parents or family or friend group or whatever culture. Like we're living inside expectations all the time but I think that can be oppressive. And so just, yeah, I mean, it helps me, even though it's kind of morbid to realize that life is really short and um, there just isn't enough time to be worrying about living up to other people's expectations. You want to find, or I want to find my purpose. And I think I have now, and I want to live into my purpose as fully as I can every day. And I mean, and that's it. It, it brings a lot of just simplicity to my thought life and just my regular, my normal life, my day to day. And um, yeah, life is short. We don't know how much time we have left and it's, it's going to be shorter than you expect. It's going to be shorter than I expect. It, it's always the case, whether I'm 60 or 70 or 80 or 90, it's always going to be shorter than I expect. I think. So. Mm. Yeah, man. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. I, I appreciate your time and I appreciate all of your answers and, uh, in your inquiries, you know, I, I, I like, I like that we're able to kind of both kind of think through some thoughts and, and have an unstructured good conversation, man. So really thank you again for, for being willing to do this. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for the opportunity and let's do it again. Anytime. Yeah. 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 Sounds good, man. We'll, uh, we'll be in touch via email and, and whatnot. And we'll, uh, we'll get together again. Okay. Sounds good. Take all care. Right. Yeah, take care, listeners. Take care of yourself. Drink some water, stretch, love yourself, and we'll see you later. Have a good one. Thank you.